Welcome everyone. I'm Sue Barber, author, former IT director for a Fortune 500 company, turn executive coach, and this is the Visibility Factor podcast, where we explore how to raise your visibility and play bigger at work and in life. We'll explore key topics and welcome guests that help you shift your thinking about yourself so you can see new possibilities for your leadership. I'm on a mission to create a visibility movement for leaders to show their value and be seen for their true talent. Are you ready to take the next step towards a higher level of visibility for yourself? Let's go. The Visibility Factor podcast is brought to you in part by the 90-Day Visibility Breakthrough Accelerator Program. Do you believe deep down inside that you can have a bigger career, but you don't know how to get there? You can keep doing what you're doing, but what if there is a better way that could accelerate your progress? This 90-day program is a powerful experience that is unique to you and provides dedicated time to focus on your specific challenge. It gives you the time to develop big ideas and plans to execute them, including the tools, resources, and motivation needed for success. Hundreds of clients have used this same program to take them to the next level in their career and to create a better life. Join me in a 90-day experience that focuses on challenges like creating a strategic plan, how to lead an organizational change, or prepare for a career transition. This dedicated time will help you see new possibilities, recognize your strengths, and take away key insights that can be leveraged immediately. Are you ready to create a breakthrough for yourself? If you're interested in learning more, visit susanmbarber.com forward slash visibility breakthrough accelerator for more information and to sign up for the program. I look forward to seeing you there. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Visibility Factor podcast. This is Sue Barber, your host. Today, I am thrilled to bring to you one of my friends from the Top 3 Book Workshop, Ellen Connolly Tafe. And she has an amazing book that I've just read. I'm so excited for you guys to read this book because there's so many similarities in some ways to my book, but she comes at it from such a different perspective. And I just love the stories and everything she included. So it's called The Mirrored Door. And I'm so excited to have you here, Ellen. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sue. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and have this conversation. I am too. So why don't you give just a quick bio of yourself and what you're doing, because you're doing other things besides becoming an author. And I think those are also fascinating. Great. So I am a clinical associate professor at Kellogg School of Management. I'm in the management and organizations department, and I teach a leadership class called Personal Leadership Insights, and I run the Women's Leadership Program for MBA students. I also serve on three boards, and uh, I'm an executive coach. I do that as part of the class as well. And, and I do this after 25 years in corporate America, working primarily like you in consumer packaged goods. I worked for Quaker Oats and PepsiCo for more than two decades and also worked for Royal Caribbean and Whirlpool Corporation. Wow. Like just hearing all of that is amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. And the stories that you share in the book are so impactful because I definitely resonated with some of those situations that you went through. Uh, but we'll get to those in a few minutes. I would love for you to share a little bit about who the book is for, what the book is about, and how you came up with the name. Sure. Um, so the book is called The Mirror Door, Break Through the Hidden Barrier That Locks Successful Women in Place. And um, I got to it um, basically, you know, I was writing for and talking to groups of women that aspire for more in their careers, but sometimes feel 
like that's not happening for them. Perhaps they feel stifled or stuck or or somehow they're like like your audience not feeling as visible as they want to be. So that was really my audience and um as I think your audience knows we both um have worked with AJ Harper and as I I worked with her as I was preparing a TEDx talk and as I was describing this dynamic that I saw in my MBA students and in myself, to be honest with you, I was describing how when opportunity is right in front of us, whether that's raising our hands in a classroom or speaking up in a meeting or going after a promotion, that we reflect inward with uh, some self-doubt and begin to hesitate and uh, incorrectly think we're not ready or we're not worthy enough and busy ourselves doing a lot of habits that we learned growing up and that were successful for us. And as I talked to AJ about this, I said something like, it's as if it's a mirror door, you know, in a word salad of lots of other stuff. And AJ being so brilliant was like, what was that thing you said, that mirror door? Tell me more about that. And the idea there was just that like we reflect inward and we don't open the door. We do what we've always done before. When there, the, you know, it's a door, not a wall, and we can open and walk through, just like a lot of guys do. And and it's an opportunity for us to, mm-hmm. you know, take a page out of their book <laughs> as well. A hundred percent, yes. Uh, and some of the stories that you shared, I just thought were fascinating, and I think the audience would really resonate with. You know, one of the initial stories you talked about was a marketing director uh, wanting to be a CMO and trying to move up the ladder, but couldn't figure out, like she seemed to be in favor and was the next heir apparent to the role. And then all of a sudden something changed. And I thought that story was really fascinating because it happens so often. It's almost like the carrot is dangled for the person and the person thinks, cool, this is great. I've got it. I I'm, I'm in. And then something shifts. So I, would you mind just sharing a little bit about that story and how you helped her think about that differently? Sure. So um, she was a, a coaching client, and I change all the names and situations. Um, right. And I <laughs> only include stories when I've seen other patterns with that too. But in this case, like so many others, or myself as well, she thought she was getting the CMO job, and all of a sudden she started to see less time with her boss another person appear joining in and adding a little bit critical comments in in key meetings. And she also felt herself questioning, am I being paranoid or is this really happening? And I'm, you know, I'm suddenly the heir, apparently not. And um, she was really relying on (laughs) only showing up in this perfect way. So it was, it was a clear example of she was holding back. And to be the CMO, you got to take risks. You got to um, confront conflict. You have to um, be able to deal with a lot of different things. And she was relying on what always worked for her to get as far as she had, which was showing up perfectly, the perfect presentation. And she was exhausting herself mm-hmm. doing that as well. Um, and not having the the comfort to ask for where does she stand 
And so she, you know, as she started to ruminate and, um, you know, some of the things we worked on was how can you set up courageous conversations to truly know where you stand? Um, how can you also uh, do some things like understanding when when is a presentation so high stakes that you need to have it be as as strong or as perfect? Or when can you go in with, I got three ideas here, can you give me some input? And she was not doing any of that and exhausting herself and getting and stressing herself out. And so that's what she sort of moved into being able to do. She eventually, the person I'm thinking of, eventually left the company to get that CMO job somewhere else. But it was a lot of, you know, a difficult time for her. And she never really knew, was she going to get the job or not? They told her she was afterwards, but she didn't really believe that um, and looked for validating signs that she wasn't versus validating signs that she was. I mean, it just kills your confidence a bit too to see that happening and seeing that now they're listening to someone else and not to me. And yeah, oh my gosh. I just, I can think of so many situations where I've seen that happen (laughs) uh, to people. So you talk a lot about in the book about cultural expectations, a lot of societal things that have happened. and, And you quote some really interesting numbers around kind of equity and pay and how we've progressed a little bit, but we still have a long way to go. I th- I'm thinking of the number of years the UN said it would take before we actually get to parity, which is, is it like 274 years or something, like that? which stuck out to me in a big way. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so, so far away. And it's not going to change. It's going to keep going up, I assume, to some extent, because the numbers are not going to change for men necessarily. So I'd love to hear you talk about that too. Yeah. And and, and that's a global number, but it's still something like in the 2050s for us Mm -hmm. in the United States uh, as well. And so, you know, there's, there's this equitable from you know, we think maybe that's compensation, which which certainly is an issue, but it's also getting more a higher percentage of women at all levels in organizations, so that we can also impact the cultural changes. I mean, we all know we're working in business hierarchies and situations that were really created for the fifties, uh, for an outdated time, and. Um, quite honestly, mm-hmm. regardless of gender, I think we're ready for something different. And um, I think women can be part of making that happen. Men can too. I think that the numbers show that we have a long way to go. So it's depressing. <laughs> so my, um, you know, my view is I, you know, with this book, I really want to get um, more people talking about this and realizing that we as individuals, can make a difference in our meetings, in our department, in the the people we report to, the people we manage, um, one person at a time, one company at a time to to make a difference. Um, And I think we can make a more equitable workplace for everyone. And we certainly have lots more work to do in other countries where women's rights are um, in in an even worse shape than what seems to be happening Mm -hmm. for us now. Yeah, so true. I mean, it's just, it's like one step forward and you just have to start taking some small actions. And I think you're totally right in terms of like one person can make a 
difference and have an impact on someone that you don't know the ripple effects on that for that person's lifetime and how they're going to show up and, and maybe pay it back and pay it forward to others. Uh, I love the story. A couple things resonated with me when I read it. You talk about being a sales manager and going into a regional sales meeting and wearing a red jacket. And that resonated for me so much because my mom worked for the same company I did. Um, she retired right before I started, or right when I started. But she always said to me, if you're going to have a power meeting, wear a red jacket. And that stuck with me forever. And for any time I had to present to a steering committee or anything else, I always wore red. So there is something about that. And I love how you kind of bucked the system where they wanted you to wear navy. And you said, nope, I'm going to wear red. <laughs> So how was that? How did that happen for you? Like, was that, a, I assume, a conscious thought you had to make that decision? You know, it, it was, but I would say there's definitely times when I went along. In this case, I mean, I, I am a brown-haired, brown-eyed, you know, Irish fair-skinned person. I was dressed in red growing up. My strawberry blonde, yeah. blue-eyed sister was dressed in blue. <laughs> My whole wardrobe has so much reds and pinks and, you know, bright color, bright blue maybe. And it kind of seemed like it was a a uniform in our sales, our, our region to wear the Navy jacket. And, you know, in those days, back in the 80s, um, they, you know, the women's suits and things like that, they were basically men's Mm -hmm outfits, but with, uh, you know, all skirt and things like that. And there was just something about, I had just bought this uh, red jacket and I just decided I was going to wear it. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how pleased my bosses were, but so it was just this little act of rebellion that was pretty uncharacteristic for me, quite mm-hmm. honestly. Um, but it's, it's something I felt really comfortable in and I feel confident I'm wearing red today. Um, uh, for this, though your listeners may not know that, um, <laughs> but um, it's something that I feel like it it um, is just like a little fuel for me. And and I think, you know, as we think about increasing our visibility, what is that for for you for your listeners? Um, for me, sometimes it's wearing something bright uh, that doesn't drain me, um, but that feels good. Yeah, I love it. I wear a lot of red and uh, burgundy uh, colors. I always get compliments whenever I wear that. So I do know it's kind of my color uh, in the color wheel, I guess, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> it just yeah, it just yeah. makes you feel good. Yeah. And I, I think whatever it is, finding like your little small act of courage. I talk a lot in the book about mm-hmm. courage and, you know, we're so um, ingrained to think about where you know, we need confidence or we're told we need confidence and we search for that. And I tell my students or my clients that I um, I believe courage is the prerequisite and confidence is the outcome once you try things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it did give me a little bit of confidence. It was a little way to be a bit more visible and to not be like all the men. And in that situation, I was the only female district manager at the time. Mm. Um, There were a lot fewer women in the room, Um, but some companies are are like that now too. Yeah, still continues. So small acts of courage. (laughs) 
Uh, so I'd like to talk about one of your small acts of courage because it struck me as really fascinating. Uh, you as a mom were asked to get on a plane and travel. I forget where you had to travel, but in the room with you were two gentlemen and they were both on board to travel and you were worried about Halloween, which was the evening before, and you would have had to get on a plane if you wanted to make it there earlier. So I love what you did. Would you share just a little bit about that story and what you did that really demonstrated courage for not only yourself, but for the men in the room? Sure, sure. So um, first of all, I love Halloween. And um, I was in a room with a meeting room with two other men, great colleagues, and we were being, we were um, newly acquired in our uh, the people we reported to were in another city and asked us, okay, let's start with breakfast at 6.30 or 7 on November 1st. And I immediately am thinking, no way. I, my kids were, were young. I think they were like four and six at the time, prime trick-or-treating when kids still want to go with you trick-or-treating. We lived in this great Halloween neighborhood. Uh, and my colleagues, they lived relatively close or had their own kids kind of at similar ages. And so I, um, you know, we could see all of us, we put it on mute and like we used to do with conference calls mm -hmm. before they were Zoom. <laughs> and we're all like, oh my God, this is the worst. You know, this is like a key year. And I came off mute and I said, I can't make it that night. I have a commitment and I um, can fly out on the first plane, but I won't be able to make it that early. Um, and uh, they then quickly said, I'll do the same. Or they, they the reaction was that it was fine. And then my colleague said, I'll just take the same plane uh, that Ellen will. And they're all, you know, like going, yes, yes, <laughs> you know, behind the scenes that the other party could not hear. And it was something that, you know, I felt like there's no way, I, I felt like I set better boundaries once I became a mom. After years of saying yes to everything, I started to say no. So it was a great gift uh, in amongst other things about being a mom. But I felt like the men in the room weren't really able to do that. Mm -hmm. Now maybe they are able to. But I think that this is like another reason why I believe if, if we change the work cultures, we're benefiting everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we all got to trick or treat and, <laughs> you know, share the stories the next day when we got to O'Hare. Yeah, I love that. Plus, I think there's maybe a natural moment where women try to share everything about a situation. And and you give a great example there of how to do it where you don't have to share exactly what you're doing. Like I have a commitment. Yeah. You didn't have to say I'm taking my kids trick or treating, which might have been, you know, unfortunately perceived in a in a way that was not mm -hmm. positive by the other side. So I think it's it's a lesson that I talk about in my book too. Like you don't have to apologize. You don't have to say anything about what you're actually doing or that you don't want to do. Just say I have a commitment. I have plans maybe next time, right? And so I think the more we can get comfortable with boundaries, I'm, I'm becoming a stronger boundary person in my own life and trying to talk about that with more people because I think people still see them as negative and I want them to see them as kind. And, and it's actually helpful for you as an individual to establish boundaries. And I love that you, you figured that out as you became a mom because yes, there's those children get... <laughs> get our time, right? So I love that For you learned sure. that. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and I love what you said that we can say, here's what I can't do here. I have a commitment, but here's what I can do. Mm -hmm. um, so that you're still in a collaborative fashion, yeah. but we're not going to say yes to everything, nor should we. Right. So right. we it just are hurts so us. aligned. I always knew this in in, uh, in our top three book workshop yes. writing sessions. For a hundred percent. So I'd love to have you share one more quick story. And then I want to get back to some of the stuff in the book. The other story that really struck me was when your boss gave you feedback about your not having enough stand-up leadership skills. And mm -hmm. I think that is something that comes across to people in different ways. Like you're not, you don't have enough executive presence, or in my case, you're not being visible enough. So I would love to have you share a little bit about that story and how you took that feedback and what you did. So uh, my boss, who I loved, um, I'm so thankful to have worked for him for some years, but he told me that I need to have more stand-up leadership skills. I didn't understand what he meant. You know, I would say confidence, or do you mean presentation skills? And um, he sort of didn't really answer. He reluctantly, over a few meetings, basically said, they think you're not tough enough. And he said, and I know different, but that is the impression that senior management had. And I was mad about that because I do think I have an outer warmth um, that comes across and I'm, I'm, I can be a little too hesitant or need more visibility um, in those days. But I also uh, have made tough calls and things like that. But I calmed down and with the help of my boss started to position certain decisions that I've made or presentations. I, I started to work together with him to be able to highlight that I'm not just the person who smiles. I'm not just what they saw before. And as they saw more of my decisions, um, ironically, one decision that had a big impact on people where we closed a plant because our business um, did not meet anywhere close to the capacity that we could produce. That was this, this thing that kind of earned my stripes that I could make a decision about our business that had a, a difficult, bad people impact, but was the right thing to do for the business. And I did fight for ways to help support the people that were impacted by it. Um, so, you know, that's kind of who I am with it. But that was this thing that sort of showed a different side of me. And eventually, I uh, I measured up enough. Um, but I, th I think it's this double-edged sword, the double bind being seen as warmth or competent. And unfortunately, women fall prey to that of, of being seen as one or the other, versus uh, both or yes and. I'm some combination of these things and I can do both. I can lead people. I can also make tough business calls. And eventually I did get the VP job, mm -hmm. um, but it, it was later than I thought and later than some of my peers. And it was, I think that we have to know where we stand. My advice to people is to, you know, as I say, know the book on you. And so getting really good about asking questions to know where you stand, especially when you're seeking a promotion, knowing where you stand relative to their expectations. 
and the perceptions of whoever the decision makers are. So important. And just going along and working hard and assuming that everyone knows what you're doing is just unfortunate because I definitely did that myself and didn't realize that I wasn't talking about the accomplishments and the results, you know, much like you had. And I I had to start doing that, even though it was uncomfortable. I had to sit at the table and talk about those things. And I love what you said about being kind of the competent versus the nice and the warmth side, because they can go together. And I think that's where I really think women Mm -hmm. have an edge in some ways, because you can build strong relationships that get things done, that allow things to move forward when maybe there's obstacles And leaning into those relationships is, for me at least, a lot of the time what made the difference and helps me get things done. But did I have to make tough calls? Yes. Was I afraid to? No. But it's just like this perception. If you don't know it, it really can impact you. Yeah. And I I really relate to, you know, what you shared in your book and in your other podcasts. I think we're alike with, you know, whether it's the Catholic school or how we were brought up. To, I mean, my mom would say, don't be a braggart, but she would also say, mm-hmm. you got to toot your own horn. So like kind of confusing. Which there. one? Which one do I do? Um, <laughs> but this idea of, uh, you know, hard work, putting our head down, getting it done is not enough. And and yet self-promotion can feel so yuck. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. I, I think what I learned through that experience was this more collaborative career planning. And part of that is saying what you've done and what you can do and getting more comfortable with that. Because if we don't believe it and show it, the decision makers aren't going to either. So no. I totally relate. No. Like, I feel like, oh, we're, we've had, so <laughs> did we work for the same uh, company? <laughs> same people. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, the interesting thing that you shared is something that you do, I think you mentioned when you either join a new company or you take over a new team, you have two questions that you ask that leader that you're working for to kind of help establish the expectations a bit. And those are, what do you hope I'll do? And what do you fear I'll do? Which I love both of those. So how how is that received by managers when you ask those questions? Um, I usually give them the questions ahead of time. So I don't see their initial reaction. Um, <laughs> and I have used it also with teams that I go in, you know, and I, I add mm-hmm. some other questions too, so I understand the priorities. But those two questions are just so helpful to know what success looks like. And if they have any concerns, because they likely put you in a role and they think you can do it, but they might be like, oh, she doesn't have experience in this area or I'm hoping she'll step up in some way. So you kind of can can understand what are the areas that you need to develop or that um, maybe if there's any sort of thing that where you get in your own way. I just think that's so powerful to do that. And if you can build a trusting relationship and start with some questions like that, you can come back to that later on and just say, you know, come back to the points mm-hmm. that, that were raised and, and it can help you to just build that kind of ongoing conversation that really helps us. I love this. So I hope all the listeners start doing that, <laughs> whether they're taking over a team or working for someone new. I do think it's it shows that you care about your career. You care about where you're going. You want to do a great job, 
Uh, you want to lead a team in the best way. So I think all of those things would be received well from whoever is hearing those questions, right? They yeah. see the underlying why behind why you're doing it. And I think that is so smart. I love those. I also would say be ready to answer those questions. That's a good point. Because I have seen that happen mm-hmm. too, where they they flip and go, "What what's on your mind? What are you, <laughs> uh, you know, what do you fear about working yeah, for me? Or that kind of thing. That's a great point. <laughs> I love it. it, it, It's true. It It goes both ways. So what do you think leaders can do to help open the mirror door? I think that um, managers or leaders can help reinforce the strengths of individuals. I think they can be um, more open and vulnerable about their own self-doubt or hesitancy if they've ever felt that. I think they could be really clear on expectations. Like I said earlier, that thing of this this is a high stakes presentation and let's do several rounds to get it to be, you know, in this top-notch shape or this is a rough draft um, so that you're not having people that work for you spin their wheels uh, going overboard on something. I think working through what are the things that hold them back? Where do they get in their own way? One thing that someone shared with me years ago was to tap tap into your care to be transparent, to be straightforward. And if you care enough about someone's career, you want to say, if you're someone who's sort of eager to please, for example, you know, you you are the glue that holds this team together and your relationships are strong enough where you can also raise conflict. And let me work with you on that because that's going to be key to your success. Because so much of the book is also about these habits that we get into, whether it's perfection or pleasing or you know fitting the mold or pushing ourselves too hard or that patiently performing and laying in wait, those work for us, but then they start to work against us. And if a manager can help to highlight that and to work with someone to be able to keep all the good that those habits bring, but also get um, you know get to a point where you can also uh, be a bit more agile and understand that you don't want those kinds of things to be held against you. Because if you're seen as not taking risks or not making decisions or not addressing conflict or not sharing who you are and self-promoting when the when everyone around you is, it's going to hold you back. Yeah. You're standing out for maybe not the right reasons <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that point. <laughs> uh, so what do you hope this book is going to do out in the world when it comes out? It's in October, correct? <laughs> Yes, it, it comes yeah. out October 10th um, of 2023. Uh, and I hope that it generates conversations. Um, I hope that it helps um, people reflect. I have takeaways and journal prompts in every chapter. I also have those manager considerations in these success factors uh, that also can sideline us. And um, I hope that it helps women um, take small steps of courage, you know, to take action, to open the mirror door and to realize that there's a lot in how we were raised and how society reinforces for us 
that contribute to us feeling like we are not ready or not worthy or need to do more of take another class or, you know, do Mm -hmm. something else before we can take action. So I am absolutely thrilled when an advanced reader says, you know, after reading that, I went for it on something and it worked out fine. Like that is the greatest gift to me because that is is what I want um, people to realize and to be able to go for it more often. Yeah, it's the thought about doing it that is so big and scary and holds you back. And I love just the way that you frame actions. I I love the prompts that you had at the end of every chapter. I think that is so helpful to kind of have reflection, you know, before you move on to the next thing. Like, where are you in this now that you've learned this or now that you can see you're not alone, that Mm -hmm. other people have been through this situation too. And I think the more we can talk about it, I think for a long time, those were things that were never talked about, right? That I struggle with moving ahead or I don't know how, and it was seen as weakness. And I think the more vulnerable we can be and share these stories with other people so that they know that there's a way through this, that you can absolutely do it. You might need some help and that's okay too, uh, but you can absolutely get there if you really, really want it. Yeah, and I love that you shared that you're not alone. I mean, that is another big point of the book. I mean, to be sure, we may be locked out by outdated workplace cultures or biases or other things or, you know, not having certain opportunities, but we also might be locking ourselves in. Uh, and it's it's not just one individual. It's It tends to be much more common than we realize, but we sit alone and thinking that it's just us and it's not, yeah. Yeah. you know, just like so much of what you covered with imposter syndrome and all of that, mm-hmm. you know, throughout your, your podcasts and book. Yeah. It's, it's the hardest part to get through, right? Because everybody else says you're wonderful and then you don't believe it. So you stay stuck. So yeah, yeah the acceptance of who we are and that we're unique and wonderful and amazing right now, just as we are, if everybody could just start to think that way, I think we would just be able to take more action. So if if everybody takes that message away today and reads mm-hmm. Ellen's book, I know that you're going to feel that way because it comes across not as hopeless at all. Like you come across very hopeful in the book and the things that you've seen that people have been able to do because of what you've done and what you talk about, I think are going to make such a difference for women and men who read it and understand more about what's happened culturally and in our past that have contributed to where we are. I agree. I am very helpful because uh, I, I think that, you know, so often I think we all feel like I've had it feeling this way and I want to go for it. And, and uh, you know, my, my hope is that that's what people will do, you know, as a result of this book. I'd be thrilled. Yes. Well, I think you're going to get plenty of people telling yeah, you that I after so. they read it. I absolutely think so. I think that. So I'm going to transition us into what I call the Rise Up and Be Visible Quick Tips, which are four questions that I ask every guest. Uh, so the first one, visibility is, if you can fill in the blank and tell me why you chose that answer. Visibility is the courage to know, show, and bestow yourself. And so the the thinking there is knowing yourself, reflecting on what your strengths and values are, 
what you're up for, uh, and showing is really the having the courage to raise your hand or raise your voice and bestow is, you know, it's some of the things that you've said on your, you know, other podcast episodes of just this thinking of my sharing of myself, my becoming more visible, my opening the mirror door is, is a gift to others. And maybe I have a great idea. Maybe I spark someone else's idea. Maybe I model the way, but I'm learning. Uh, and that is a, a gift to everyone I work with as well. Mm-hmm. And they just connect with you more because of that, because you're being vulnerable and sharing that you're not perfect. You don't have all the answers all the time. And I think people need to see more of that. And we don't, you know, in the perfect world of social media, we don't always show that. So, oh, for sure. The more we could do that, the, the better the off I think everyone world. would be. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, what are you doing to be visible? Um, well, right now, I've gone from the more solitary uh, writing a book to now marketing the book. So, that's a whole new challenging experience to put myself out there to, you know, elevate LinkedIn and and all of that. Um, I think I am just trying to get the word out and also um, talking to groups. I'm, uh, you know, scheduled to talk to corporations and um, and some women's groups and things like that. And um, that for me, like I used to sort of set a goal of I'm going to speak up early in this meeting or, and then I, um, I was told once you're hiding your light under a bushel. Um, and I I then took a class on storytelling and, um, signed up to do this TEDx talk and was like, Oh my God, when I got it, like, what did I do? You know? (laughs) And, um, so I think I'm just always trying to make myself more visible, which is why I was so excited to be invited on your show um, because it's hard for me. And it's it, it, I'm opening the mirror door mm-hmm. with this book. Well, if it's any consolation, it's hard for me too. <laughs> it's just, uh, we just have to keep yeah, going. Yeah, we just have absolutely. to keep taking action. Uh, what is the best leadership or career advice you ever received? Um, the one that's really present for me now um, so this is a quote from Katie Orenstein, who runs the op-ed project. And um, the quote is, if you say things of consequence, there may be consequences. The alternative is to be inconsequential. And um, it, it was about trying to write and whoever writes op-eds tells the stories, tells the history. And um, there was something about that, that it felt like it characterized me, uh, my long-term efforts to, to be more, um, you know, vocal and visible in meetings. And now this, this book is really about, um, you know, trying to not be inconsequential that I, I have seen so much and I want to, um, to get the word out there on this and impact people. So I just, that's, that's sort of very present for me now. I love that quote. Uh, I think everybody should have that in front of them on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> I always think about, and I, I, I know you've probably heard this too, um, being part of AJ's group, but when Mike Michalowicz said, you know, if you've written a really great book, you have a responsibility to get it out in the world. Mm. And when he said that, I thought, wow, you can't not talk about it then. You can't, hide behind your computer all day and not share what you know with other people who could benefit from it. So 
that to me really stuck with me and and very similar. Like we have an opportunity to do something and a platform yeah. to do it with. Yeah. And I think like, I feel like I'm sort of in the legacy part of my career and I so much want to make a difference and I spend my time doing things where I can make a difference. So that quote just so speaks mm-hmm. to me. Love it. Okay, last question. Uh, what's a book that maybe you've read recently that you would recommend? Um, my book is The No Club, and it's by Lori Weingart and uh, two co-authors like Linda Babcock. And um, it is uh, written for women to make sure they're not taking on too many what they call non-promotable tasks, or some people call it like the office housework you know, planning the Christmas party or mm-hmm. the, some of the things that we take on. And it, it is um, about, you know, forming connection with other women and, and setting boundaries. And also, you know, some of these things we take on, if it's related to performance and can help us get promoted, um, then that might be something we want to do. If it's not, we should do it if we're passionate about it but not be assumed to take it on. And it's fascinating research and stories. We had her speak at Kellogg um, in the spring quarter and she was so good. It was It's such a great book, The No Club. I love that because I think I've been there <laughs> where, where you're in the meeting and would Sue, would you take the notes? And I'm thinking, yes. okay, there's 18 other people in here. Why am I taking the notes, right? So I do think that's true. And I've seen that uh, repeatedly happen. And so I'd love for everyone to share in the note writing (laughs) and all of the things, you know, and not just take on these uh, traditionally maybe female opportunities that they've seen others do in the past. Yeah. And it's both expected of us and we do it. Yeah. yeah, So we perpetuate it. And so it's just, it's very illuminating book. um, And I, um, so that I highly recommend it. I love it. Okay. I will absolutely share it with everyone in the notes as well as that quote. I love it. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you or learn more about the book? Sure. Well, I'm very active on LinkedIn and um, my website is ellentafe.com. My last name, love my husband, not necessarily his last name, but it's spelled <laughs> T-A-A-F-F as in Frank Frank E. Nice. So ellentafe.com. Um, ellentafe.com slash the mirror door is the book page. Uh, slash 10 tips is also um, a uh, list of 10 tips I wish I knew earlier in my career. Um, And I have a newsletter and all of that. So you can find it all on the website. Awesome. Well, I will share all that with everybody. And I just wanted to thank you for coming on. I am so excited for your book to come out. I I had glimpses of it along the way. And to know that uh, you and I were on a similar journey to get our books out. Oh, look at that. I have have an advanced (laughs) copy and and yours. So I had to, I was like, show them both. I had to show them. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. And always being a support supporter of me and what I'm doing and uh, happy to do the same for you because I think what you are sharing in this book is so important for anyone to read, uh, but especially women. 
Well, thank you, Sue. And, and, you know, you were ahead of me in the top three book workshop and we're always such a role model. <laughs> I think because we had, you know, the Chicago CPG Catholic mm-hmm. school, all yeah, those we kinds had a lot of similarities, of but, but, you know, I just, you gave me a lot of courage to stay with it, which we all have to do when we're writing a mm-hmm. book. Um, so I really thank you for that. And, and such a delight to, to be here with you today. Oh, well, thank you. I didn't, I didn't know that before we talked earlier. So Anything yes. I can do to help people write books, I'm happy to do. And uh, I love that you were on the show and I'm so excited to support you. So thanks so much for everybody joining today on the Visibility Factor podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to the Visibility Factor podcast. Remember that visibility starts with small steps that are intentional and consistent each day. Be bold, be visible, be the leader you were meant to be. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, which are highlighted in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Visibility Factor Podcast.